The Gist is sponsored by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Get a free 30-day trial by visiting GoToMeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. And by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. Try the new Squarespace 7 and get 10% off when you visit squarespace.com and enter offer code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, February 3rd, 2015 from Slate. It's the GIST. I'm Mike Pasca. This is the sound of the pharmacy I was in today. Do you have cleaners, uh, like household cleaners? As a matter of fact, I said a question, yeah. Yeah. Here I am asking for the DD7. All this out right here. Okay, thanks. All right. Thank you. And that guy was helpful. Usually they're very helpful, but sometimes they're not helpful. Sometimes they're all like, look, if it's not on the shelf, we're out. And sometimes they're like, can I help the following customer? Which is not unhelpful, but it's just ungrammatical and terribly annoying. I guess some market researcher said people don't like being told next, but next makes sense. Can I help the following customer? It really doesn't. Sometimes they will tersely answer your questions while never stopping the stocking of shelves or the labeling of cans of things. And this, as you, as your partner, the unflappable but impenetrable Lenny Briscoe, ask questions about a murder. Okay, I'm basing that on every episode of Law & Order I've ever seen where they go into the Dwayne Reed. But in Venezuela, the country of Venezuela, the people in the pharmacy are often less than helpful. In fact, the big pharmacy there has long lines and the goods are in short supply. Now, an explanation, some might argue the explanation, for not having enough goods to meet demand is that the oil-dependent economy of Venezuela has cratered as the price of oil has plunged. The country has imposed currency controls, restricting dollars for imports, and therefore there are lines everywhere and consumer goods are scarce. But no. President Nicolas Maduro has his own theory. More than a theory, really. A theory plus a series of arrests, which really puts a little oomph in a theory. He says the owner of Farmatodo, the big pharmacy there, the owners are intentionally creating scarcity to prompt the lines in order to make the government look bad. He has arrested them. You see, the owners of Farmatodo are against the socialist government, so they're creating these long lines. That embarrasses the government because that's what a committed capitalist does, an anti-socialist. He sees a desperate customer base and he says, last thing I want to do is sell goods to these people. I think that might be the socialist's idea of capitalism. I want to add one extra note on this. Here is Reuters' description of the presidential outfit. Keep in mind that our president, Obama, was roundly criticized for wearing a tan suit once. All right, here we go. Those who use their stores to hurt the people will pay with jail time, said Maduro, donning a tracksuit with his name sewn on and a camouflage hat. All right, if you're going for the camouflage and seamlessly blending into the natural surroundings, what's with the name sewn on the tracksuit? It's a huge mixed message. Anyway, end of story. Pharmatodo, Dwayne Reed did not have the DD7. On the show today, I spiel about the gap between science and political candidates of a certain stripe. But first, sticking with the theme of autocrats, we go inside the repressive hermit kingdom by talking to one of the few people to ever escape North Korea and to live to talk extensively about it. The 
the media, the weather media, they're always inventing new phenomena. I guess new ways to describe old phenomena. So black ice, that's the big one. Now, black ice just means really slippery, hardened, permanent, it's going to screw you up ice. Is this perhaps inspired by the new Netflix slash BBC series Black Mirror? No idea what's going on. No idea what's black ice. Do know it's impossible to get anywhere to get to, say, a meeting. And with all the sickness and with all the roads clothing, all right, it's a logistical nightmare, but you still got to get together with your team. The deadlines can't wait. Why not use GoToMeeting? Here's how GoToMeeting works. It helps you work smarter. Anyone can join from a computer, a tablet, or smartphone. You can turn on your webcam and read the room with HD video conferencing. You can share screens to demo new products, explain features, or just take shots of the black ice you avoided and get feedback right there, right then. Video conferencing is really quite a useful thing and GoToMeeting is the way to get it. So I want you to sign up for GoToMeeting today. Try it free for 30 days. There's nothing to lose. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and if you do it now, you can have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. Jang Jin Sung defected from North Korea, escaped really to China, eventually to South Korea. That was a dozen years ago. When he was in North Korea, he was pretty prominent. He served in a very sensitive military unit. The task that he was in charge of was poetry. He wrote poems in praise of the North Koreans. And South Koreans would read those poems because he wrote them under a pseudonym with the intention being that they thought it was written by a fellow South Korean who simply liked Kim Jong-un or before him, Kim Jong-il. North Koreans would also read those poems. That's what North Koreans do. Read a lot of things, poems, stories, and movies praising the dear leader. Jang Jin Sung is here with me today. Hello. Thank you for coming. Hello. Hello. And I'm also joined by Shirley Lee, who is Mr. Jang's translator. Hello, Shirley. Hi. Describe to me the first time you met Kim Jong-il. Until the day I met Kim Jong-il, I really didn't think he needed to use the toilet because he was such a divine and sanctified entity in in my consciousness. And when I actually came to, to see this man, he was the highest authority in our nation, the most revered man in our nation. And what really jarred in my mind was that he was wearing high heels. And my thought was, why is this high man, why does he need to wear high heels? And also his, his words literally become the law of the nation. What he says is taken as as the constitution. And yet when he spoke in person, because it was not for record, he was just using kind of colloquial slang and mixing up his verbs and, you know, not speaking in the way he was supposed to speak as this godhead of the nation. And and so ironically, this encounter with God shattered my faith in his divinity. And you write that he used coarse language. He was stroking a Maltese dog, a puppy. And I think that the army, the military had intended for you to be awed but was that the beginning of you questioning everything about North Korea? So when I was called by Kim Jong-il into his presence, as it is called in North Korea, there was a Russian folk song playing at our meeting. 
and Kim Jong-il started to cry. He started to show tears and, and all these men around him who were supposed to be the most powerful officials in the country imitated him. They started crying too. Again, another shocking shattering of the facade of here is this divinity. Why is he not only so human, but almost lower than human, almost subhuman, not not maybe the right word, but it's why is he doing this in front of people who are already loyal to him? Why is he putting on a show? It felt like a show. It didn't feel, look real. And, and, and that really made me feel like he had all this power in the godhead of Kim Jong-il. In that, in that system, he was all-powerful. He wielded power over these men. But in human terms, he did not have everything. He did not have that fulfillment. And, and, and it was just this uh, division between Kim Jong-il, the presentation, and Kim Jong-il, the man. You wrote poetry that would be disseminated to South Koreans, and the intention was they would be convinced it was a South Korean writing this poetry, and it would be in praise of North Korea. However, knowing what you know now, was that effective? Was your poetry, would your poetry actually convince South Koreans that it was written by a South Korean and strike a pro-Northern chord? By the time I entered into my profession, the because of the kind of economic differences, South Korea was kind of ahead in so many ways. And so the psychological warfare had been determined to... It, it wasn't effective anymore. It wasn't having its desired effect. So the very tools that had been effective before my time, it was the whole machinery was turned inwards. And so the intended audience for the psychological warfare became domestic. So North Koreans would see outsiders praising their leader. To this day, North Korea engages in propaganda and it's just a joke. I mean, we in America read these news releases and we laugh. Do the North Koreans think this is having any effect outside of North Korea? Do they think their propaganda works at all on the international stage? I think perhaps it's maybe people look too much at the propaganda as if it was the only tool, as if it's a matter of brainwashing, as if it's not having any other way of looking at it. But North Korea operates in terms of two fundamental pillars of control. One is physical, which is the surveillance, the prison camps, the snitches, the mass surveillance, so to say. And the other is psychological. This is propaganda, music, songs, the way from birth to death you have this as your way of life, your faith, your belief, your political ideology is to serve Kim and to die for Kim, as if Kim is your nation. And it's so effective in its mutual dependency. If you just had the propaganda, it would look funny as outsiders would look. But in that system of codependence, it's not funny. It's it's true. And if you if it's not true for you, there's terror to hold you back. So it's just this system that keeps it together is how it's not just psychological, but physically held together by the surveillance system. Do North Koreans feel repressed? They do feel repressed. It can't be otherwise. They're human beings who feel... They can't maybe qualify or tangibly describe what it is that is not right. But the problem is that there is no alternative system or government they can compare it to. So for them, this is how the world is. How, how can it be any other way? 
Right. They might say reality is a depressing thing. Reality is sometimes someone snitches on you, and sometimes you get thrown in a concentration camp. They would just say that's called reality. Kuchu. Yeah, Kuchu. exactly. <laughs> Kuchu? Kuchu means like, Kuchu, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, officials in the United States wanted to change North Korea, and they do want Kim Jong-un now to be out of power. What mistakes do they make in understanding North Korea that gets in their way of maybe getting Kim Jong-un out of power? Mm. We really need to separate the North Korean system from the North Korean people. There's a system and a regime, and there are human beings who are part of that system or regime. And until now... Most North Korea policies and approaches have tried to change the regime, like make you know give it pressure or isolate it or sanction it or talk with it or give it incentive to change. And and the whole point of this system is, it doesn't want to change. It wants to maintain power. So w- what is really effective is is change comes from below. That's what forces the regime to adapt its policies. Is For example, marketization, it's a force from below. It's not instigated. The regime does not want to get rid of Kim Jong-un. It's, it's, it's not going to instigate a transformation of its system. It's only going to do that when it has an incentive to do so. And that incentive comes from below because those are the people it needs to keep in the system. Okay, but how do you do that? I mean, it's the hermit kingdom. You can't get information to the North Korean people. It's, it seems like the hardest country in the world to foment popular resistance because, you know, as you know better than anyone, it's uh, cl- shut off to the rest of the world. So, officially, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il, the Kims are the most revered figures and personalities. But in reality... Who is more revered than the Kims are, for example, is it Franklin Washington, the president of America on a U.S. banknote is in reality much more worshipped than the Kims. The Kims is just like lip service. But with money, that's how, that's what people really cherish is money. North Korea is known to have nuclear weapons, scary, it's, it's a threat. But doesn't control the price of a single egg in its country. It's not, it does not have that absolute control that is characterized in, in, the, in the popular mind, is that it's got nukes, we can't do anything about it. And to, to use an analogy to, to describe how that is, is kind of unhelpful, looking only at this, this barrier, um, is if Kim Il-sung had full-on Kevlar body armor mm-hmm. and Kim Jong-il had kind of just on his front and his backside was just naked and vulnerable. And in Kim Jong-un's time, it's like he holds this small shield and the rest of him is vulnerable. And that shield is like the scary things, the nukes, the weapons, all, all this the isolation, the hermit kingdom, all these impenetrables. But in effect, people are looking only to the system, not to the people in that system who are already open to money to to american dollars it's 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 people are looking for the looking only at the impenetrables when there is a host of other openings having lived the life you've lived gone through what you've gone through is it easier than we'd imagine 
to control people's thoughts? Or is it harder than we could possibly realize to control a whole population's thoughts? It's very easy to agitate a population politically. From the perspective of a regime who's got control over a society. Jang Jin Sung, a pseudonym because the North Koreans would still like to kill him. Jang Jin Sung, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And Shirley Lee, thank you. Thanks. Jang Jin Sung is the author of Dear Leader, Poets by Escapee, A Look Inside North Korea. Squarespace makes the web beautiful. It brings the web to life. It makes the web. Actually, you make the web, and it helps you make the web. It helps you make a website. Here's what it does. Well, there's this new Squarespace 7 interface, and it's incorporating Google Apps, and it partnered with Getty Images, and they have new templates and new cover pages. I mean, this is a beautiful program, simple drag and drop. There's also 24-7 support, live chat and email. Basically, if you have an idea, it's going to allow you to access this idea and breathe life into that idea into and over the web. It's only $8 a month and you get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. To start a trial with no credit card required, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code GIST for 10% off your first purchase. And that will also, of course, show support for the GIST. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. And now the spiel. Weasel words on measles words. An outbreak of measles. Yes, measles. Not the vapors. Not excitement of humors in the blood or the Ottoman Empire. But measles are the thing that we thought was eradicated but yet is in the news. CDC reports 600 cases last year. That was the highest number in 15 years. And this year, remember, we're a month and two days old. There are 102 cases this year of measles. Not the return of monocles, not moomenchants, not any other outdated, outmoded blights on society. Measles. There was an outbreak in Disney. Not the return to Snowy River, the return of measles. The reason measles have returned is that some parents don't want their kids to be vaccinated. This weakens herd immunity, which takes a great human accomplishment and says, eh, because I have beliefs. I have beliefs informed by opinions that the co-host of Singled Out backs up. What if we allowed any member of the public to fill out a personal belief waiver to ruin every other major accomplishment of the last hundred years? Oh, oh, you there? You have a personal belief waiver? Well, here's your chisel. Have a go at the Statue of Liberty. Oh, that's a personal belief waiver? Well, then I guess you get to take a big chunk out of Mount Rushmore. Take as much as you can carry. Go ahead. It is your belief. Oh, is that a PBW? Well, right this way, sir. Here's your shovel. Feel free to throw as many clumps of dirt as you wish to fill in the Panama Canal. Wait, what's that? You say I was talking about great human accomplishments of the last hundred years and the Panama Canal opened in 1914? Or did it? That's just what learned historians want you to believe. That's just the myth that big accuracy is peddling. I believe it was done in April of 1988. What? 
That was the release date of the return to Snowy River? No, it wasn't, because I have my belief. And screw your kids, my dad is a subscription to a Rand Paul-backed newsletter. Oh yeah, Rand Paul, Chris Christie too. Two of the latest brave politicians unwilling to say, just get immunized, you numbnuts. You know these guys, they're behind the reinventing a new direction and leadership for America packs. Well, allow me to laugh my ass off as we figure out that the new direction is the reintroduction of measles. But you know what? Maybe measles is too fraught a subject. Maybe you don't realize how universal the scientific community is behind vaccinating against the anti-vaxxer ignorami. So let me compare it to another scientific achievement that actually has less scientific consensus behind it. The moon landing. Polls consistently show 4 to 5% of Americans believe the moon landing was faked. What if politicians, in an effort not to piss off that constituency, the anti-moonies, what if politicians kowtowed to them? I mean, the anti-vaxxers are anti-mercury, the anti-moonies are anti-mercury 7. Uh, wasn't the moonshot not the Mercury missions, but the Apollo? No! No, because I don't believe it was, and I have a waiver. So imagine if politicians had to twist themselves to honor the belief of the moon deniers. Look, everyone's entitled to their own belief. It is not for the government to dictate choices about the moon landing. All right, all right, I got a better example than that, because what we're talking about is protecting kids, not exposing kids or exposing kids to things that will save their lives. What if the issues were pajamas, flammable pajamas? What if today, due to a movement to oppose children's sleepwear regulations, specifically Title 16, Part 1615 in the Code of Federal Regulations, there was a whole group of people that did not want their kids wearing pajamas that were fire-resistant? We'd have the specter of New Jersey Governor Chris Christie saying, Parents need to have some measure of choice in things as well. So that's the balance that the government has to decide. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul concurred by noting, I've heard of many tragic cases of walking, talking, normal children who wound up with profound mental disorders after wearing flame-resistant pajamas. But I think the parents should have some input. He then clarified, saying that he chose flame-resistant pajamas for his children, calling them one of the greatest medical uh, breakthroughs. And with that, the senator kissed a baby that had just burst into flames. Just producer Andrea Salenzi believes that seatbelts save lives. She just doesn't think they should be injected into children under seven. Just intern Claire Tennisketter readily acknowledges that gravity keeps things in place. She just doesn't think it should be mandated in preschools and bowling alleys. Joel Meyer, managing producer of Slate Podcast, wants to emphasize that it is by choice, not government decree, that he urinates, defecates, and scratches, rubs, and bites trees. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcast, is all for the use of water and not olive oil to combat building fires. But if an individual firefighter wants to use oil, he can recommend a semi-fine virgin with hints of coriander. And there's something I want to plug, which maybe you've been hearing about it on other Slate podcasts. We love our listeners. We hope our listeners love us. But we don't know. We don't really know. I talk to people when I see them. But I'd like to hear from you. If you've never been to a Slate live show, if you've never interacted, even if you have, it's very important for us to survey you guys so that we could better suit what your interests are. Basically, if you come and fill out this survey and it turns out a bunch of you are into Highlight, there's going to be a Highlight podcast. I'm promising if that's what you want, you're getting your Highlight podcast. How do we know what you want? Here's what you do. You go and fill out our survey. We're at slate.com slash survey. 
Or how about this? We have provided a link to the show notes in this episode. So that's slate.com slash survey, or just click the link in the show notes. Do it for Highlight. We're on Facebook.com slash Slate Gist. I put a picture of the president of Venezuela's tracksuit, in case you were wondering. It says right on the chest, it says Nicolas Maduro, and then underneath it says Presidente. And I, for one, think that, yes, a life preserver, a rope, or simply the arm of a strong man or woman can be a great anti-drowning aid for some. There are others who endorse the use of anvils, pianos, rhinoceroses, New England Patriots, nose tackle, Vince Wilfork. The important thing is that the government doesn't get involved and that we let parents choose the right device for their children. Be that device a buoyant item that floats or an extremely dense metal alloy. So long as it works for you and your family. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, Slate Supreme Court correspondent and host of Amicus. On each episode of our podcast, We talk about the latest goings-on at the court and among the justices. We even take you inside the court to hear snippets of the oral arguments themselves. But on our latest episode, we consider the question of why the court makes that audio available but doesn't allow us to see it on video. You can find that episode by searching for Amicus in the iTunes Store or just visit slate.com slash podcasts.